0: Romans 1, verse 16, this is God's holy and infallible word. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So in these verses, what we're doing is we're finishing up what really is is kind of the the introduction to the book of Romans. Uh, And just as the entire book of Romans is full of theological depth and richness and beauty, so is the introduction, which is why this is the fourth message on the introduction alone. And most people agree that verses 16 and 17 are the theme of the book. If Romans as a whole gives us a summary of what we believe, and if Romans as a whole is almost like a mini doctrinal textbook, here we have the book and our faith summarized in two verses. It's just incredible what's packed in here. Many essentials of the faith are included. Paul tells us all about that faith of ours in these two verses. And we're just going to go right through them. First of all, we see that these verses, which are a summary of the book, these verses can be summarized. And what's at the very heart of verses 16 and 17? You could argue it a few different ways, but I kind of go along with those who say the summary is the word gospel. If you were pressed to give a one word summary of the Christian faith uh, to uh, whether you're having a discussion in a Bible study or a small group or or maybe an unchurched friend or or neighbor, uh, the word gospel would be a very fine choice to use. It's found over 90 times in the New Testament, and we have it twice right here in these verses. Greek, gospel is it's the translation of a Greek word meaning good news. And the Greek word is where we get the word evangelism and the word evangelist. And that means literally one who brings good news. As much as enemies of the faith, you know, sometimes want to say Christians are, are sort of a negative people or judgmental, or whatever, or they're sort of put a downer on everything. The reality is the gospel is what we're about. And that means we are about the spreading and the sharing and the living of the good news. We have a good news message, a good news word. That's what gospel means. Uh, The most popular news headlines are bad news. I looked up this week one source uh, that listed what it saw as the top 15 headlines, like newspaper news, top 15 headlines of the past decades. Three of the 15 were, you could say, were positive, but the others were all bad news. October 29, 1929, what do you think that one was? Greatest crash in Wall Street's history. Not good news. September 12, 2001, New York Times. War on America. August 9, 1974. What could that one be? Nixon resigns. November 22, 1963. Assassin kills Kennedy. Lyndon Johnson sworn in. On August 31, 1997, Diana dead, Princess Diana. The Christian's headline, however, is good news. The rest of these words and phrases that we're going to get into really kind of fill out what that good news is, what it's all about. And a righteousness from God is the heart of it. That phrase is used eight times in Romans, and that gets us close to the theme of the whole letter, if you want to know what the theme of Romans is. And we could call this sort of the definition of the good news. And the righteousness of God is, is as one person puts it, it's the act by which God brings people into a right relationship with himself, So righteousness from God is God acting in such a way to bring people from one situation into another. Righteousness from God is God acting to create a status change in a person. To change someone and who they are and where they've been and now where they're going to be. It's from God. That might seem like a throwaway phrase, but it gets at something very vital. Uh, uh, To what we believe. The righteousness does not come, and the gospel does not come uh, from angels, doesn't come from men or women. This status change originates from God. And we could talk here, as the Bible does in other places, about God's plan in eternity, his plan to create and his carrying out of the creation of the universe the completion of the plan, the preparing of our Jesus coming, whatever you want to talk about related to the Gospel and the righteousness, it's all God. It's from Him. Even though it's not in these verses, we could add another little phrase, and that's of Christ. The righteousness from God is of Christ. And we saw uh, in, the, in, in the last couple of messages Uh, in in Romans, the centrality of Jesus Christ for Paul, especially verses 2 through 5 in Romans 1. And we're going to see that more as the book goes on. Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness becomes ours. Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. His person, His work, that's what comes to us. So it's the righteousness from... God that's of Christ, ultimately. Salvation is a central word, too, of our faith in these verses. Another word we could use is deliverance. We're delivered from something. And in the verses just after ours, we didn't read them this morning, but we're going to get into them. And, and they're, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit of a downer. Um, but it's a downer that we need to hear. It's a section on sin and the wrath of God, and it shows us why this salvation word is important. If we ignore the seriousness of sin, we'll wonder, well, why do I need to be brought from one status to another, like the righteousness from God has? Why do I need delivering? Why, why would I need to change? Romans tells us in depth That all people are in a very bad situation that will lead to judgment, God's wrath, everlasting punishment in hell. And so we desperately need deliverance. We need salvation. Another key phrase here is power of God. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Salvation, to me this means that salvation is Effective, because God's power, because He's God, it's infinite. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. If the gospel is the power of God for salvation, that means this salvation that people need, that you and I need, is going to happen. God is able to deliver. You know, it's not like uh, with our nation's leaders where we elect them. And then, you know, we sort of cross our fingers hoping beyond hope that maybe they're going to be able to take care of some of our problems. With almighty God's power, we know the effectiveness of this salvation. God is able to deliver us from our problems and our ultimate problem of sin. God will come through, and this is shown especially in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's the proof right there, concrete in history. Power over sin, power over death, power over the grave, power for living, power in prayer. Salvation is effective because of the power of God. And it's effective, we read, for all who believe. We read everyone who believes, and then we read this righteousness is by faith from first to last. Faith or belief. That's a critical, essential element here. All of what we're talking about, it's by faith. It's how salvation and the power and the righteousness happen and are in our lives. Faith and believing come up again and again in Romans. Everyone who believes. So this is an activity of people. It's something we do. It's not obvious here, but it's made very clear later in the book that this faith, although it's something we do, it's not a work of man or women. We are called to believe, but that action, in other words, does not contribute to salvation. The Bible talks about faith as a response. An accepting of a gift that God provides. And John Calvin says faith, wh- wh- how do we look at faith? How, do we, how does that work with salvation being all of God, but yet believing is an activity, it's a response. John Calvin says faith is a kind of vessel with which we come empty and with the mouth of our souls open we seek God's grace. So it's coming with a vessel that that God fills. Salvation from first to last is God's work. Paul will remind us strongly and in different ways. Uh, Martin Luther at the time of the Reformation heard and knew the word faith, but he understood it wrongly as a type of work, something to be attained. And I believe uh, Mr. Roloff's ninth grade class just recently was talking about this because I have a ninth grader there. He understood faith in the wrong way, understanding it the wrong way as something he needed to attain, it tore the poor guy up inside and it also annoyed all the other monks around him because as much as he kept trying and trying and trying, he figured out there was nothing he could do on his own to get salvation and and to, to live with the peace before a just God who hates sin. But then finally, it clicked for Martin Luther. Finally, the Holy Spirit revealed, you're looking at it all wrong. You're not getting it. There is nothing we can do to get salvation. Faith is an opening of our hands to receive the righteousness of Christ that God offers. And God even graciously provides us with the ability to open our hand. Spurgeon writes in his book, All of Grace, Faith is, is the eye which looks. It's the hand which grafts. Faith, faith is the mouth which feeds upon Christ. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Maybe you've heard older translations that says a righteousness from faith to faith. And that seems to be a strong emphasis that it's through faith that we are put into a relationship with God. It's for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that word, everyone, is important. The call to believe, the communication of the good news, that goes out to everyone, the whole world, all people. Men, women, children, people of all color and languages, old and young, lawyers, artists, teachers, craftsmen, preachers, moms. And that's what uh, Jesus conveys to us in that really amazing nighttime meeting with Nicodemus. Whoever believes is not condemned. And we talked about that last week in Luke 14 when we looked at the parable of, of the great banquet in the morning. Jesus' invitation to come to his banquet, it goes out everywhere. It goes to those right here in the church. It goes to you the invitation goes to the cast offs of society, the downtrodden that, that we would rather not even interact with. And then it goes far and wide to the highways and the byways out to the world. There's something very non discriminatory about the Christian faith. Don't anyone ever let you tell you that Christians discriminate. It's the most non discriminatory of all religions out there in the world. The call goes out to everyone, everyone who believes. Jesus refuses nobody who comes in faith. Everyone. Then we have this language first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And this could be a couple things, but it might be about the missional spread of the gospel. Remember Jesus, before he ascended uh, at the beginning of Acts, says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, sort of these concentric circles going out. They talk about in in missions, seminary classes, the faith started among the Jews and then spread outward to the entire world. So the gospel of Jesus, this good news, it goes out. Jesus says in the Great Commission of Matthew 28, go and make disciples. This is an essential of our faith. And still today it is not all of God's children have heard the message they haven't all responded yet and so this call continues for the church the church everywhere it's a call for faith church to spread the gospel to go out near and far we read that the gospel in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed That's an important word. Revelation. That's an important word in Scripture. It means uncovering something, disclosing something, and that something is God's salvation plan. It's it's Jesus. In Paul's day and in the ancient world, uh, there were what were called mystery religions. And those were kind of big, kind of the the hip thing, and and they would emphasize... uh, the attraction was that they had like, like a secret knowledge for select people about how the world works, who God is, what people's calling is in the world, and, and people would kind of like, ah. Oh. The Christian faith is about as far from a secret knowledge as you can get. It's a revelation. It's there for everyone to see. And we see that revelation most obviously as and in God's word where God's salvation is disclosed from the beginning of time at creation, through the fall, through the flood, the calling of Abraham, the times of the judges and the kings and the prophets, and forward to Jesus' coming, and, and outward from there as Paul spread the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world through the preaching of the gospel. God's word is where we hear The good news today. And the proclamation and the preaching of that word is the very special and unique task of the church. It's not entrusted to any other group, any other body. God entrusts it to his church. Paul says in verse 15, just before our verses, he's eager to preach the gospel. And and that is God's special design for revealing his salvation In Jesus to people today, we live by this faith too, says the last phrase of those verses. The righteous will live by faith. And so this faith that saves us, it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's for day-to-day living too. There's daily application of the faith in our lives Especially Romans twelve and following, we'll talk about this. Uh, we live the faith day by day in the blessings in the joys, in, in the regular day by day life, in, in the struggles, in the valleys. This faith is for you and for me, wherever we are today. Finally, there's one more, and you, I missed, I skipped over, I think, just one phrase, and it's the very first phrase. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed. Well, why, why would Paul be ashamed? Well, 1 Corinthians one eighteen, he says there in a different letter of his about how, how the world considers the cross, the core of the good news message, foolishness. And, and how it can think that the idea of a crucified Savior is just plain silly. And people are like, "Well, what kind of religion is that it 's nothing like the world had ever seen, nothing like the world had ever imagined, especially people in Rome in Rome, the city of Rome that that posh and powerful capital, of the Gentile world, they would scoff at, at a humble servant type of person like jesus and and because Christians had only one God who is invisible, who you worship, the, the pagan people of those days would call Christians atheists, believe it or not, because these pagans had all these different, you know, like the, the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods. Those pagans, they, they called Christians atheists because of who God is. The Jews of the day said the Christian faith subverted the law of God, which was so important for them, and they laughed at the Christian faith for that reason. Both Jews and Gentiles, they called Christians in society disturbers of the peace. And it's because they separated themselves from others in society in such a way that they created their own communities, these small churches. Everywhere in Paul's day, the faith was scorned, it was scoffed at, it was spoken against outright. And those who held to the faith were risking personal danger and death. But Paul was not ashamed. Not ashamed. And today, too, the world can be opposed to the gospel of Jesus, ridiculed. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Maybe ashamed of it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, says, if we've never been ashamed of the gospel, it's not that we're an exceptionally good Christian, but maybe it's that our understanding of the Christian message has not been clear enough. And I think what he's saying is maybe we're, we haven't realized how counter-cultural the gospel is how life-changing it is, how world-changing the gospel of Jesus is, as we've been seeing in our morning series. For Paul, not being ashamed, it resulted in his public preaching of the gospel. Everywhere he went, every city. We're not theologians and missionaries like Paul. We're not all preachers couple of us here in the room that I know of. But we are all called to be witnesses. And so the opposite of being ashamed of the gospel is that we share the good news. Each one of us is called to witness for Jesus. We should have words to say about Jesus. And and, and if we don't, there are ways to get better equipped for each one of us to be able to talk about who Jesus is and what he means to us. The most effective way is to simply share the difference Jesus has made in your own life, to talk about your own life story and journey and struggles and how Jesus helped you through. You can share your story. Each, each one of us has a story to share, and, and we should be able and, and be prepared to be able to do that if God calls us to. But at least as important is simply living the faith day by day. St. Francis of Assisi said, Share the gospel with everyone, and when necessary, use words. Our actions, our love that speaks very, very loudly. The Heidelberg Catechism emphasizes in Lord's Day 32 evangelism, sharing the good news happens especially through our thankful living for Jesus day by day. So Paul's declaration at the beginning of this summary of the book and summary of the faith, I am not ashamed, I believe calls us not to be ashamed, and I think that includes being the opposite of that, not being ashamed to be witnesses of the gospel ourselves, each one of us. And so we truly do learn a lot about our faith in these two short verses that summarize the book of Romans. For better or for worse, you can tell people you have heard a 12-point sermon and you survived. As we've seen these essentials together this morning, my prayer is that you would live in wonder of the good news and the essentials of the faith. My prayer is that you'd respond with open hands, by faith, yourself, and that you'd be assured this morning of your salvation, all from God. May we live by faith, day by day, as gospel, good news type of people. Amen?